Welcome to Nature Bracket Podcast, where we speak with investors and, and entrepreneurs about the green economy. My name is Tarmo Virki, and today my guest is Peter Kroll from Earth Equity Advisors. Welcome, Peter, to Nature Bracket. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Tell us a few words what you exactly do. Well, I am a, uh, I guess at the base of it, I'm a financial advisor. I have uh, been doing sustainable investing. Uh, since 2004. So uh, actually, it's almost 19 years. It'll be 19 years in June. And before that, I was, uh, I've been doing it now, um, I guess you could say independently. Before that, I was at Merrill Lynch and was doing traditional financial uh, advising. Um, but what I do, what I do now is I help uh, put together portfolios that help people align their investments with their values. That's the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. The sustainable investing for 19 years, this must be longer than sustainable investing has been, you know, making at least making headlines. It's definitely longer than it's been making headlines. When I started, SRI didn't stand for sustainable, responsible investing. It stood for socially responsible investing. And so it's interesting. I've been able to watch over the years this evolution that's taken place to go from a a, a social, socially focused perspective to a more sustainable, um, you know, uh, justice, um, governance, you know, ESG has come into play. There's, there's just been a, a whole number of different things that have changed, some for the good, some for the bad. Exactly. And so uh, uh, like the example of the you know carbon offset industry, which uh, when people from the industry say it's definitely changing the world for the better. People who look a little bit down to the surface are saying that it's all, all a big scam. Yeah. What's your yeah, take? Everything on? that I've read about it. Um, and and I'm not I'm not an expert on it, so I'll start mm. by saying that. But everything I've read about it um, is that it's it's rife with problems, uh, double counting, and um, you know just 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 issues across the board where you really can't put a lot of faith into it. It's not the it's not the kind of thing where we're going to put uh, clients' money in as an investment. That's for sure. Mm. Uh, at least in Europe, uh, kind of corporations are obliged to go into it. And right. the governments are somehow in it. I'm I'm not aware how it's exactly in the U.S., but hmm. I, I in Europe I've been uh, telling to the people that if I would set up a fund, I would put uh, the whole fund into the uh, into the carbon offsets because everybody in Europe has promised to be carbon net zero by 2030, yeah. which you know all the logic says that in 2029 we will be seeing prices skyrocketing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 here's the thing is, you know, the 2020 or the 2030 goal is great, but for the most part, it's just sort of everybody saying, well, it's really going to be 2050, but 2030 is 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 what we put on the surface to make it look good. And 2050 is too late. 2030 really is where we need to start hitting some of these targets, and especially here in the states. Um, you know, I I was at a a conference a couple of weeks ago at University of North Carolina uh, on clean tech. And the keynote speaker was the CEO of a major utility, uh, Dominion Energy here in uh, the Mid-Atlantic. And he was he was complaining about regulations, you know, stopping them from being able to implement. And I'm just sitting there thinking, this seems really disingenuous to me. So I, I really quickly got on my phone and I looked up to see you know, how much revenue and how much profit are these guys making? So, 
you know, the last 12 months, they'd made $17 billion in revenue and $7 billion in EBITDA earnings before interest taxes, mm -hmm. depreciation, amortization. So, so, so telling me that you've got, you've got problems doing implementation while you're making $7 billion in profit just, just doesn't ring true. And so I wrote a nice blog piece about it, uh, um, complaining about, about these guys, because they're the ones that are getting in the way. Uh, they're the ones that are the big emitters. They're the ones that are, they like the way their tax situation is right now. And they don't want to lose any of the benefits for these big, uh, you know, fossil fuel plants that they built. So they slowly want to move off of those before they start getting into, uh, you know, renewables. How can, uh, how can, uh, kind of financial industry have an impact? How, you know, how if you, if a client comes to you saying that, mm -hmm. hey, I have a family portfolio of, I don't know, X million, we yeah. want to you know, make money, but at the same time, we want to make the world a better place. What kind of advice do you give to such people? So we start out by, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back here and do mm -hmm. some, some definitions. So yeah. um, we see in the, in, in the media constantly ESG, ESG, ESG. Well, ESG is just set, it's just a set of numbers, right? All it is is a set of metrics um, that look at the risk associated with environment for a company, with their social risk and with their governance risk. That's it. And what we see is a lot of fund companies are simply taking those metrics, they're layering them on top of a traditional uh, index like the S&P 500 or, you know, uh, EAFE, which is uh, the developed markets and just layering in it. And they're making them what I call less bad. All right. So instead of having, uh, let's say two and a half percent of Exxon Mobil, you have one and a half percent of Exxon Mobil. That's really not doing a whole heck of a lot right there. And every time I'm, I'm giving a talk, one of the things I'll always ask is, if I sold you or bought a um, a sustainable portfolio for you, would you expect to see ExxonMobil in there? And not a single hand ever goes up because they don't consider sustainable investing less bad investing. What I consider sustainable investing is positive and solutions-based. And so that's the first distinction I always like to make in these conversations is the difference between ESG and sustainable investing. So ESG investing... Um, uh, this is this is the best way I, I can say it. So an ESG portfolio that reduces its exposure to ExxonMobil is less bad. One that eliminates it entirely is better, but one that replaces it with first solar is actually sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so to, to go to your question, what I would say is, let's take a look at your portfolio and let's take a look at what your holdings are now. Um, do you own fossil fuels? If yes, we're going to get rid of them because they're contributing to the problem. And by having an allocation to them, that is money that we could instead be allocating to uh, companies that are making a difference to first solar, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, for me, that's that's how I would start a conversation with somebody like that is let's assess what you have and let's figure out how we can switch switch up those companies that you currently have that are part of the problem. And let's put them towards solutions, because ultimately, at the end of the day, we need solutions. Do you see uh, uh, do you see a trend from the from the kind of investor side from the you know LP side or the or the pe people with money side? Do they yeah. actually come with this kind of uh, requests? It 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 depends. I, 
because all we do is sustainable investing, they're definitely coming to us for <laughs> it. You? Yes, so, so, so I don't see somebody who's coming to me um, asking from a more neutral perspective or a more traditional investing mm -hmm. perspective. They come to us knowing full well that we're going to help them align their investments with their values. Um, in general, across the across the industry, yes, we are continuing to see that go up. A lot of it is based on age. So, so millennials have a much, much greater interest in sustainable investing. Uh, women typically have a more, more uh, a greater interest than men do. Um, but those are those are broad generalizations. You know, we still have there's still a lot of boomers, the ones who were the tree huggers of the early '70s. Uh, they do not want to own companies that that are not aligned with them, and they do want to own the. Um, you know the solutions providers, and you know when I when I think about sustainable investing too, and, and and related to climate change specifically, you know climate change the climate change train has already left the station, right? You know we're already f seeing the impacts of it. Um, you know as we're recording this right now, uh, Fort Lauderdale down in Florida has uh, has flooding without any real uh, weather going on. It it's because sea level is rising, etc. So sustainability to me is investing in companies that are going to make, you know, reduce our exposure to to carbon uh, emissions, but also resiliency, because like I said, the climate change train has already left the station. We need to invest in companies that are that are uh, creating more resiliency in our uh, in our economies. What kind of uh, examples would you would you mention on the resiliency side? Um, so on, on the resiliency side, we want to look at um, like companies that are designing and, and building infrastructure that is going to be more resilient to, uh, to greater storms. To, to um, you know, out west we have wildfires. How can we better survive in those, in those particular environments? Because people are not going to want to move out of there so how can we better how can we better survive in those environments obviously the best thing to do at least on the coast is to move inland but people aren't necessarily going to do that so how do we protect new york uh which is you know basically sitting you know which is an island right how do we protect places like that so companies that are really focusing on that kind of infrastructure um we also we, we i mean i think there's a certain amount of technology that we can look at as well how is how is technology going to give us more information that we can that we can use to um you know pre to predict storms to um to to, to build to, a lot of it is about the built environment right mm -hmm. so you know how can we how can we create a better built environment that is going to be more resistant mm -hmm. two examples we've been speaking about uh, here in this show so also one I remember was a case where a company is building the uh, fire alarm systems for the forest fires, fire, mm. forest fires, yep. uh, and that's uh, increasingly important also in Europe. I think uh, we are in April. Yeah. I think in March we saw the first forest fires of this summer, and if you think you know forest fires of summer in March, that's just crazy. Yeah, uh, and uh, the other the other example. We spoke recently with a team which is starting to build sustainable cities from scratch. So going like, you know, totally greenfield project somewhere in yep. the northern Chile and uh, starting from zero. 
which sounds sounds like a really intriguing place to visit sometimes when it's ready in some years time from today. Yeah, one of the one of my original influences i had i had two influences when i got into this business one is my wife who's much much smarter than i am she has two phd's and um she was she helped me sort of create what we're doing but but another uh, person is a guy named bill mcdonough and uh bill mcdonough is a green architect and you know we're going back 20 plus years and he was doing exactly what you just described creating sustainable cities from scratch uh and i know that he had done he's done some of that in china or at least he was back then i'm not sure what he's doing now i haven't seen him in years um but doing that exact same thing how do we start from scratch and build in a way that it is regenerative that is resilient and that is ultimately sustainable exactly and that's the that's the challenge for many of the projects also also on a kind of environmental green tech projects or whatever you call them the, uh, the at best many of them are you know making things a little bit better not not kind of going down to the zero right yeah and and you know obviously when when i talk about investing you know we don't have to to accept less bad you know, we we can exactly. just simply make transitions. However, when we're talking about you know the built environment and some of these other things, it it is going to be incremental. Uh, we we can't just suddenly switch all of our building stock over to solar or or, or wind or anything like that. That is going to be incremental. But the, the 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 biggest thing we can do is get the obstacles out of the way that make those increments much smaller than they need to be. Exactly. And talking about the obstacles, I think you mentioned earlier there. One of the obstacles speaking at the at a conference lately, the, these kind of these kind of challenges are kind of common. The uh, what what's your take on the kind of investor activism? Are you involved at all, or 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 do you see much of the kind of uh, sustainable, environmentally conscious activist investments? Now, for us, because we really focus on investing in the companies that are making a difference. We 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 aren't as active on the shareholder advocacy side because mm -hmm. we're buying the ones we want to buy. We're not trying to change them. Mm -hmm. um, traditionally, that has been a really good route to take companies that are, you know, middle of the road that that you know they're not the leaders, but they're certainly not the laggards, uh, and try to push them to be better. Where I where I have a problem with is people who are using shareholder advocacy with fossil fuel companies. Because at the end of the day, they're still going to be a fossil fuel company. They're still going to be the ones that are the greatest uh, threat to our civilization, ultimately, right? And so, you know, they simply need to go away. You can vote all you want on your proxy. They're still going to do what they're what they're doing. Exactly. That's a little bit of a similar challenge with the whole carbon offset industry. I'm trying to describe sometimes to the people that, you know, offsets are something when you buy when you actually have done bad. Exactly. It's, it's like the uh, church had those uh, penance. The, right? when, yeah, exactly. When you sinned, you went to pay to the church and then every, everybody was, you know, hunky dory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could go kill somebody, but, you know, and then you, uh, if, then you go to the church. Hey, you know what? Here's some I can't I know exactly. There, it's not penance, but there's a certain word for it. I can't remember it. Yes, there is <laughs> the. Uh, my my I mean, religious upbringing is failing me right now. I don't. Uh, it's been too long ago. Uh, same same here. I know I know in my language, but the English English is here the challenge. 
the uh, okay uh going forward what what's your yeah. kind of uh you said that 20 we talked a little bit about the 2030 is the kind of target where everybody should actually be aiming for even though they don't yet understand that's as urgent um looking forward you know what do you, what do you look in, look for you know in coming years the climate is getting worse the people younger generations are putting more money in the greener investment uh, is it uh, is it too late i don't think it's too late i think that we have opportunities i think that I don't want to rely on technology to save us because we can't do that. That a lot that that basically gives us license to maintain business as usual. We can't do that. Uh, one of the questions that I get asked often is, "Are you optimistic about things?" And I think that you can't not be optimistic. You you we we have to look forward to something that is going to. Um, you know, carry us on and help us to thrive. I, I think that's probably the best word is, is I want us to be able to thrive. And so by, by getting as much, as many assets as I possibly can and transitioning them onto the solution side, onto the resiliency and sustainable side, um, we're making our difference. Do I, do I think that we're going to hit it by 2030? The realist in me says, probably not. Uh, there's just too many entrenched interests with way too much money that are that are obstacles. Um, that being said, there is a ton of money, and I, I've, I've got a Bloomberg uh, New Energy Finance report literally sitting in front of me for a presentation that I'm going to be giving in about two weeks, and it's trillions of dollars that is going into this, uh, and that is going to have to go into this for us to hit the targets that we need that we need to to maintain some semblance of. Um, of the kind of lifestyle that, that, that we're living going, you know, you know, 20, 30, 50 years from now. Um, again, the realistic side of me says, this is going to be hard to do. The optimistic side of me says we have the capability to do it. Um, and when I see younger people who are in the streets, marching, who are changing the way they're investing, who are inheriting money from parents and grandparents and completely shifting the way that their that their investments are, that does give me hope. So, I don't know if that answers it. That's sort of like play, I'm playing both sides of it, but I don't think there's any other way. Mm, I I, th I think I agree. I mean, uh, being a journalist by profession, I'm you know born cynical. I think the <laughs> the cynicism is in the veins. Uh, but uh, and when you read the you know IPCC reports and so on, you kind of uh, you kind of uh, look at it and think that you know it's kind of lost battle yeah. at, the, at the same time speaking with you here and speaking with uh, people innovating also on the technology side and kind of changing the world it's kind you know there there is definitely some hope yeah yeah there, there most definitely is and um i i think if we lose hope then we're really going to spiral. We can't allow that to happen. Mm. And and I'm the same as you. My degree is actually in communication. So I've done journalism and writing for, you know, a long, long time. So there is a cynic in me as well. Um, and, and it's I'm, I'm actually in the process of, of writing a book right now uh, on sustainable investing for financial advisors. And it's interesting. I was, I was writing the introduction uh, not long ago. 
and thinking about lessons that I've learned in this industry, you know, there's there's a couple things that that stuck out. One of them, uh, especially, is that when you miss a uh, an opportunity, you can't feel bad about it. You just need to look for the next one. And that's really where we are at this point. There's going to be a lot of misses. I mean, th this idea of carbon capture, I think, is a ludicrous idea. Let's just let's continue to burn burn uh, fossil fuels, but we're just going to pump the carbon capture. underground. Really? Why don't you just not burn it in the first place? But anyways, um, th there's always going to be a next opportunity. And so, um, you know that that's that's where my, that's a big source of my optimism comes from is just experience of having been in this business for a long time. Good. Um, as a you know sustainability sector financial advisor, who has some optimism looking into the future, uh, what what do you think are the kind of next challenges? Uh, this year what are you looking out for well obviously there, there's there's a lot of headwinds economically that we're dealing with right now mm -hmm. um from you know potential recession uh, most people think that or most economists think we're gonna we're gonna hit a recession at some point uh interest rates are are, are going to make it a little harder for these more innovative companies to uh have cash to be able to fund themselves and mm -hmm. fund their R&D. Um, hopefully, we will continue to see some government support like we saw in the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, you know, I look at I look at EVs as being a huge opportunity. Uh, the right now, the, you know, again, as we're recording this, the, the EPA here in the United States is working on some rules to make it harder on the internal combustion side, which is theoretically going to push more people to the EV side. But we, we also have some roadblocks there because when you look at a map of EV charging stations across the U.S., there's a lot of blank space where, you know, there's nowhere that you you can charge. And I've, I've driven EVs for several years, for gosh, seven, eight years now. And and I've dealt with those, you know, with, with the anxiety that comes along with, gosh, how am I going to get from point A to point B? Uh, I'm going to have to turn the air conditioning off and I'm going to have to, you know, whatever it takes to get yeah. to, to that. The next heating off and so on, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so we've got some, we've got some challenges currently. Um, the EV charging is going to be overcome that I don't really have uh, any concerns about that. Um, and the economy is going to come back. It always does. It's a cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, it may be in, in the short term, uh, when 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 we look at the growth oriented investments, which typically we're investing in, they're probably not going to be the greatest outperformers. But when mm. you look in the, on the longer term, uh, from a longer term perspective, it's the only place I would want to I want to be invested. Exactly. Uh, that's a good point to start wrapping up. I think the discussion. Uh, the episode comes out next week at the Earth Day or on Great. the week of the Earth Day. So we'll be celebrating this with a sustainable investment focus. Thanks, oh, Peter. Oh, that's for, wonderful. Thanks, Peter, for joining us. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for a great conversation. 
ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid. 